It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the director of the Netflix film The Dirt, Jeff Tremaine. It could have happened to anybody, but it didn't. It happened to us. A new band is going to be something nobody's ever seen before. Oh my God, those are my pants. But they look so much better on me. We got a runaway, a kid drummer, an old man. Let's just play it. A cover band singer. They say you're going to be a rock star. What do you think? Holy shit. If we want to knock people on their asses, then we've got to give them a show. I'm talking like a stadium show in the clubs. The fans, they're dying for some anarchy. So let's give it to them. So how did you first get attached to Motley Crue? Well, I'd like, I'll take a step back even further than me being attached. I wasn't a Motley Crue super fan. Sure. I like Motley Crue. They're great. They're fine. But I, I didn't come about this wanting to tell it as a fan. Yeah. Uh, it started in 2002. I was making the first Jackass movie. Uh, me and all the Jackass guys were kind of on a roller coaster. And I think Steve-O had the book, and he gave it to me. I read that book. I'm like, holy shit. Passed it to Knoxville. Yeah. Whoever passed it to whoever. We all just read that book right then. And right then, uh, MTV Films optioned the rights to that book. That's who we were making the Jackass mm-hmm. movie with. So I was, of course... When I saw David Gale, the head of MTV Films, I'm like, hey, if you need a director, I'm the guy. Yeah, yeah. Kind of joking, because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, can I say fuck like, uh, Of course you can. <laughs> right. um, yeah, I didn't know what the hell I was doing directing yeah. Jackass, much less a scripted movie. Right. Uh, then you fast forward uh, 2010. Mm-hmm. I just finished Jackass 3, and my agent sends me an email the subject line is, are you a Motley Crue fan? And I know exactly what, I'm like, oh shit, the dirt's coming back around. Now I think I am able to tell the story. So uh, I put together this, uh, like a lookbook. I, I just pulled a bunch of images of films and photographs and things that I thought this movie should feel like and sort of put it in order of how the story should start here and then get to here and here, you know. Uh, put together this, this lookbook and also cut together a sizzle reel just pulling different shots from movies that, and, and, and putting it to music and everything. What did you have in there? Um, I had a lot of boogie nights. I had some train spotting. I had some good fellas. Uh, some the actual classics. motley footage. You know, just mix and match with a bunch of other shit. Uh, anyway, went in and sold myself. I don't normally do this. I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not good at selling myself. Like, 
but I went in hard on this movie. I wanted to get this movie. I wanted this to be my first scripted movie because by then, not only did I feel ready to direct a scripted feature, mm-hmm. we had been through so much. My my story, the Jackass story, felt very similar to the the Dirt story. Yeah. Like we've been through the, uh, this amazing rocket ride to the moon, and then back, and all the trappings that come with that fame and fortune and addiction and okay. all of the bad stuff too, you know. So I felt like I want to tell the story and tell it with the authenticity it deserves. Yeah, I'm also an '80s kid, <laughs> and I wanted to get the '80s right, the early '80s and not make it feel like a parody and not make it feel like we're making fun of this era uh, or that we weren't really there in this era. Like, I wanted it to look like it really looked. Yeah. So, that was important to me. So, tell me a little bit about once you got here, you decide, they reach out to you. Um, it's been a long journey. Right. It. <laughs> I didn't even finish my story. You're right. So, <laughs> I pitched... I come in with this lookbook, I come in with this sizzle reel, and I sell myself to the producers. And they they see it. They see, like, oh, yeah, this isn't, you know, he sees it. It's not, mm-hmm. he, he's not trying to make a spinal tap or anything right, else. Right. Um, and so they're like, all right, but you have to, you have to meet each of the band, each of the band guys has to approve of you as well. And so I'm like, holy shit. All right, so I, I go in, and if you read the book, you realize Nikki's probably difficult, right? <laughs> yeah, you could say. <laughs> and he's the first one I had to meet. Okay. So I was nervous and I really prepared to be in the room with a difficult person and just try to convince them that I'm the guy, the jackass guy can tell your story. Right. And, uh, and he was so nice and, and sort of quickly saw in me a familiar underdog yeah. to himself. And, and, I think we connected and we told each we told war stories to each other about what it was like. like yeah. And I, I just convinced him that I'm the right guy and mm-hmm. he, he, he sort of quickly embraced that and, and I got his endorsement. My next meeting was with Tommy Lee. Mm-hmm. Tommy, I was like, he's going to be my boy. Like, he's a jackass guy. Like, I, I get him better than I get the other guys. Tommy was hard. Was he? Tommy grilled me, man. He's like, this is not a comedy, man. Dude, what are you going to do when blah, blah, blah. He just hit me. Made me justify a lot of what I was showing him. Yeah. And, uh, it, was, it was intense, but great. Like, I'm like, he made me stick up for my choices. And uh, and, and, and at the after the meeting, I'm like, holy shit, did that even go well? Like, I get into my car and I get this text. Dude, this is going to be fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> that's who I expected to be in the room with up there. Like, where were you? So what was the deal? I, he's just, I he cares about getting the right person to yeah. tell the story. I think they they had been through a lot to get to that point. Yeah, they'd already been on it for almost 10 years before yeah. I got attached. So three and four, you know, you, uh, the other two band members, how did that go? So then, uh, so then um, I had dinner with Mick and Mick was just uh, pretty straightforward yeah. and, and we, we hit it off pretty well. He was pretty easy. And then I, I uh, flew out to Vegas and had to meet Vince in Vegas. And, uh, and I started showing him. He he, he he got it. So did they... Um, I know another recent music film, Bohemian Rhapsody, for example, the band members had a very strong... kind of an iron fist over how the story was told. Did you feel that with these guys? No, I, wa- I, I, I did not want it. I expected it. Mm-hmm. I, if, if you were going to... If, if a director was going to come and try to tell my story, 
I would be up that guy's ass. I'd be like, you got to tell that, you got to do this, you got to do that. Like, I would be all over it. They were available to me. And I'm not bullshitting. They were totally available to me. I met a bunch of times with Nikki and Tommy because they're both in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, and asked them, they got, you know, kind of got, as we're developing the script, I needed, like, how would we bridge this to this, whatever, right. what happened, what did you guys really say? Um, but they left me alone, essentially, to make, and they never said, you can't tell this story, or mm. you have to tell this story. None of that. Like, truly trusted me to, to, to handle it. Were you or any of them concerned in a post-Me Too era? Some of, you know... Yeah, I think, I mean, I was, cons- like, it was funny because, look, I've been trying to get this movie made since 2010, essentially. Yeah. Uh, the world has definitely changed, and changed for the better. Sure. But we're telling a true story. We're telling, this really happened. I'm not putting it through a new lens. Mm-hmm. We are telling an outrageous story with warts and all. Yeah. And it's not all glamour, and it's not all, it's got some ugliness to it. And that was our commitment, was to, we're just telling this true story, and we're going to tell it with authenticity, and let you judge what happened. How did you guys ultimately choose, I know, for example, they mentioned in the film that their manager, they originally had, he had a partner that they just, was going to be written out of the movie. How did you decide certain liberties? Yeah, you look, to make, to condense 30 years, or in our case, we we really kind of, cut it off in about 15 years mm-hmm. but to even to convince 15 years of a drama filled crazy filled four real life stories you're gonna have to make some concessions and, yeah. and, and tweak things to just to tell in a logical story if you can only do it in so many sets and so many actors like you gotta oh, yeah. consolidate it uh, and make it make sense so uh we had to leave some probably important names out of it and some important events out of it but we we put in the people and the the stories that added up to the whole that we were trying to. Was there anything you desperately wanted to make the final film that you had to you know a baby you had to kill basically an anecdote or something? I wouldn't say there was. We had to kill a few scenes. Yeah. Um, didn't have to, but as when you're in the edit bay, you're making the movie for the third time, right? You, sure. You've made it on paper, then you've made it on film, and now you have to make it take the film and cut it and make it make sense in the edit bay and it's really three different incarnations of making this movie Uh, in the edit bay you realize that as a director I love all these scenes that we Mm -hmm. spent so much time shooting but pacing matters and things that you didn't see on the page and you didn't see when you're shooting out of order and all these things Mm -hmm. certain things just just to keep the story moving along even faster you gotta cut out performances you loved scenes you loved but we were pretty good about getting the script right before we shot. Yeah. So I wouldn't say there's a ton of material that is on the cutting room floor. I think we restructured scenes in the edit bay. Like every movie, I'm sure. sure. I haven't done a whole lot of... This is my first scripted movie. Yeah. I've done it a million times with Jackass, but at that, it's all modular. You can reshuffle it around, but what really happened and what we're showing oftentimes are two. So you're on set, you know, for a scripted film like this. You're used to working with kind of improv and just outrageous stuff. The aesthetics aren't as important. Yeah. How was the whole approach different, like being on set from doing that well, jackass? Well, it was a top-to-bottom different <laughs> approach. First of all, this being my first scripted movie. 
basically when I got this job, when I committed and everyone agreed that I'm going to direct this, this was in 2011, mm -hmm. I decided then this is going to be my first scripted movie, thinking it's going to happen in the next year or two. Right. Get this done. <laughs> Fast forward now to eight years later. <laughs> um, but still committed. Like even when decent scripts came through, I'm like, mm -hmm. I'll do that one, but not before the dessert has to fucking happen. Because I just knew that this was the right story for me yeah. to come out and it doesn't look like jackass and it doesn't feel like you, there's a if you like jackass the sense of there's my sensibility in this mm -hmm. but it's a totally different it's not a comedy yeah and there's funny stuff in it but it's overall it is not a comedy um so my first move was let's i, I want to be the guy with the least amount of experience on this whole set mm -hmm. like you better your imdb page they're double the length <laughs> of mine and so uh, the first guy i hired was um uh, Toby Oliver, the DP. It's fantastic. He didn't get out, right? He didn't get out. And uh, and I loved see, he, the fact that he didn't get out. Get out looked great. Oh, yeah. But he also just, that was Jordan Peele's first movie. And I could sense that Toby knows how to bring a mm -hmm. first-time script director up. And uh, he just had a great, I don't know, I just had great confidence and trust in him from the minute I met him. And I knew he was the right guy. Yeah. Uh, and then um, Mel Jones, the production designer, same thing. She did Whiplash and a bunch of other great movies. But she, we're all about the same age, too, so we all yeah. cared so much about this era, telling this era right. That it, it was great that these people, I know it's going to look great. I know the sets are going to feel real. Mm -hmm. uh, I hired Christine Wada, the producer of the costumes. She worked at CBGB's. You know, she's just uh, got it. And I didn't have to worry about what they're going to look like. Uh, and then, like, my biggest concern was hair. <laughs> In this movie, because if you get the hair wrong, if it feels like a stupid wig... Yeah, then it's like a farce. Then, then it's you know? a farce. It's, yeah, exactly. Like, this movie so easily could have looked like a bad Halloween party. Yeah. That uh, we spent a lot of money and a lot of time getting the hair right. And, and really one of the rules was, like, let's actually downplay it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, you look at photos of Motley Crue, sometimes their hair is <laughs> way bigger than we ever let it go. Yeah. And that was just so we, we controlled... How you perceived it? It had to feel real, and if you, they looked like they were in a big party, it, it's a very different era, nineteen eighty one, than it is now. <laughs> At so many levels. Yeah, nobody but Lady Gaga gets dressed up like that anymore. Right. So, tell me about casting the band members, because I know some of the guys like you and Rayon came on, on the and Douglas Booth came on on the later end of things. No, Douglas Booth was the first guy we cast. Oh, was so it? Douglas? Douglas was Douglas actually came in to read for uh, Tommy Lee, and. Uh, he didn't, I'm sorry, he didn't come in to read. I got him on tape. He was in mm -hmm. London. And uh, he did this great Tommy Lee read, but I looked, I'm like, I wonder if he, because we were really trying to find Nikki. Yeah. I, I knew if I found Nikki, it would all start to come into. And so I had him read for Nikki. And he killed it. And then I went and I watched his. He played a young boy, George, in this uh, uh, small film. But he was awesome and he yeah. totally didn't look like he transformed into this young boy George not mm -hmm. that boy George and Nikki look anything alike but Douglas is a chameleon he can become that yeah and he's a great actor I like all his stuff uh, he wasn't an obvious choice but he was when you, when you see him I knew I knew he could do it uh, the next thing I got was a self tape from Machine Gun Kelly mm -hmm. Colson Baker's he was on his tour bus and he just did a self tape for Tommy and I'm like, oh, well, this dude is Tommy Lee. He's yeah. not even trying to be, like, <laughs> and I always knew that, like, 
I need a rock star. I need one guy from the music world, oh, yeah. a musician, to be in this group, like my group of actors, mm-hmm. something, because they'll be an extra sort of reality check mm-hmm. on making sure that it felt authentic and everything else that's important to me. And Colson was that guy. It just worked out. Um, also with Colson, he has mayhem on his top right wrist. Yeah, yeah. The same font, the same tattoo as Tommy has across his chest. And then on the inside of his left wrist, he's got the Jackass logo tattooed there. <laughs> this is before this script was even... Oh, my out. God. So I'm like, well, this, is, this is destiny. Right? <laughs> like, I can't, I can't turn away destiny. Oh, this yeah. Is God telling me this has to happen. Um, and then, so he was definitely, like... You know, it, like we we had to cast him. Yeah. Um. And he looks right. He's the right height. He didn't play drums, but I knew like, he's a musician. He's gonna learn. He can learn. Yeah. Um. You and Rayon. Uh, someone mentioned him for possibly being Mick, and uh, we said, "Well, reach out, find out if he's even yeah. interested." He was interested. I'm like, well, then fucking hire him because. Like, Are you a Thrones fan? I'm a huge Game of Thrones oh, fan, yeah. and I'm scared shitless of Ramsey Bolton, and I thought <laughs> he'll fucking kill it, and he plays guitar. Oh, he does. Played guitar. I mean, he's not a shredder like yeah, yeah. real Mick, but he plays guitar. He can learn how to, you know. Uh, and then the last domino to fall was uh, Daniel. Uh, Daniel Weber, uh, our our casting director, Barbara Fiorentino, was mm-hmm. high on this kid. She showed me. Um, he played like uh, Lee Harvey Oswald in, in the, a thing for Hulu. Oh, yeah, yeah. The 1120 11, 11, exactly. um, yeah. I can't <laughs> Uh, and he was also in the, uh, Netflix's Punisher, okay, yeah. which is cool, but he doesn't come off like a rock star mm-hmm. in either of those roles. Um, but, but he, as soon as he walked in, we he, we auditioned him. He's the only guy I truly auditioned in person. And he just swagged in and just moved around and peacocked and just he <laughs> is a front man. Yeah. Yeah. So my only concern, that, letting them like, all right, we've got our band now. I just got to figure out. They all talk funny. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh all, yeah, they've all got accents. They all have like the only American in the group is Machine Gun Kelly, and that dude has the thickest, <laughs> hoodiest Cleveland accent. <laughs> right? He's not an LA kid like Tommy Lee, so they, we all had to just pound them on their accents. Yeah. You know, Daniel's from Australia. Uh, Ewan's Douglas Welsh. is a, yeah, Ewan's Welsh. Douglas is a Londoner. They don't talk like Southern no. California guys. They buried it well, though. They I mean, did. I mean, it took a while, but we like luckily we got enough time. That was what it, the key to the whole thing was. That I needed time to just mold these guys into a gang and a band, mm-hmm. and just we all like it was great that we shot this in New Orleans. It would have been nice to shoot in L.A. Sure, but I live in L.A. Colson lives. We would have been going home. Mm-hmm. It, being in New Orleans, we were all right on top of each other. We're going out together, living right on, you know, just, we were together all the time, oh, yeah. like a band, and it just became real. Is there any, uh, living together, any just absurd <coughs> anecdotes that happen while you guys are in New Orleans? There's lots that happen. Um, <laughs> uh, You're allowed to tell me. <laughs> I can't tell you some of it, but, like, the fact that poor Douglas had to live right across the hall from uh, Machine Gun Kelly. Machine Gun Kelly, like Colson Baker, would torture him nonstop, just torturing him at any hour of the night. Like, just... Like, how so? I mean, just 
Hey, tell this you up. Like just, you just, I don't know. So Lots of crazy stories. How did you guys end up making um, Nikki Six kind of the main character? Because, I mean, it, it spreads the love, but it seems like it's ultimately his story. It's him learning to love his family. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was the sort of underlying theme. When I, even when I read the book, like that seemed like a pretty obvious theme in it. Yeah. Um, and Nikki's the sort of the guy who got the band together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just kind of... That wasn't always the intention, but it just seemed like the logical way to tell this story. It's, it, it's about a whole family, but he, he was someone who was seeking that all along, not realizing he had it in, in the band, you know. Uh, but, we, you know, we tried to be as... Uh, give as much equal time to the other guys as possible. So the concert sequences, I mean, like, you guys, the film is obviously mainly about the crazy shit they got into on the mm-hmm. side, but, like, tell me a little bit about executing some of those massive scale yeah, music like it, numbers. Yeah, it was awesome, but hard, and to, to get that stadium right, like, we had, you know, the lighting system for concerts today is not the same as, like, <laughs> we had to get all these huge parkan lights mm-hmm. up there, and to do Motley, right, you have you need a lot of lights. You need okay. a lot of pyro. You need a lot of everything. So uh, it's expensive. And uh, and you also have to fill it up with all the life. Like, uh, So that was a real challenge. Uh, but but it was also a lot of fun recreating all that. The drum cage? Yeah. Did you actually uh, did you put somebody up in there? No, we didn't actually build the drum cage. We, we did a, a sort of a fun... We, we, we show you that in a fun, like, an interesting way. Oh, it looks sick. So, what have you not been asked yet about the making of the film? God damn. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, then I'll ask. You said you had a bunch of scripts come your way. What are, what are you looking at next? More music or? I'm not, I, I, I'm actually, uh, I'm wide open right now. Uh, Probably leaning comedy. Yeah. But. But I'm not like I don't want I don't want to like the reason I wanted to do the dirt was to to break out of any kind of typecast. Yeah. Like the scripts I was getting were all just kind of dumb teenage comedies, mm-hmm. uh, which I am a big fan of. I would do one, <laughs> but I don't want that to be my first foray into to script and narrative. Of course. I wanted to show like I got some. Uh, so I'm wide open. Now that this movie's coming out, I, I'm I'm totally wide open to see what's out there. Is there another band you would like to cover? There's a bunch, right? Like, uh, but I, I like I said, I also don't want to become the the, the band guy. biopic guy. Yeah. Uh, oh, the scar tissue would be sick. Anthony Kiedis's. Oh yeah. Yeah. I never it, read that. I was, oh my god, it's 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 not quite as nuts as this, but it's. I'll read that one. Yeah, there's some interesting oh, stuff. That's the in cover's bad. Um, yeah, that's cool. I don't have the next thing planned. I, I'm, I'm producing a movie that I'm finishing right now, but my next directing, I don't know what it's going to be. Okay. All right. Well, anything else you can give me about this kind of just bananas project before I go? Anything else? Tell me about the Netflix, you know, coming to them ultimately. You know what? Netflix, they were saviors. They came in and uh, liked the script. That we want, we were trying to get going for ten year, nine years, yeah. and uh, didn't have any restrictions and say, "Got to do this, mm-hmm. can't do that," um, uh, and truly lived up to their reputation of of letting the filmmaker make the movie yeah. the filmmaker wants to make. They they were not in my way at all. Like 
barely even awesome. interacted at all with them during yeah. the making. Once they greenlit it and liked the cast, liked what we were doing, left us alone. Let's make it. And last thing, since they let you do whatever you want, what was your favorite just batshit insane thing that Motley Crue did that you captured on camera? To me, the Aussie scene. Like, oh, God. The, the Aussie scene <laughs> was my had to do yeah. deal breaker if it's out. What, the snorting <laughs> the fire ants and stuff? Oh, snorting God. the ants, licking the pee, the whole. What did you have as pee? I always wondered some of the, the props and stuff. Well, obviously it's real. <laughs> Oh, in the squirting scene, too. Yeah, squirting scene. It's pretty insane. That was in the original script that I inherited, and yeah. I thought that opens the movie exactly how this movie needs to open. So that's always lived there yeah. and never moved. Well, dude, it was fantastic Thanks, talking man. to you. So, yeah, man. Thanks cool. so much. All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the director of the Netflix film The Dirt, Jeff Tremaine, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate any feedback that you can give us, including that five-star rating with a comment. And if you're feeling generous enough, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening once again, as always. We shall see you all next time. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.